This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. All right. We'll open up the floor. If anybody wants to comment anything, or if anybody wants to say anything, by all means. I, by the way, I just have to say before we start any Q&A, I love that we're doing this. Because for weeks and weeks, I literally was thinking, what's going to be the next series? And then once like we settled on this thing, I'm I'm so thrilled. I could talk for, like another hour. I, I love it. I know really I, I love it. Medrash is so it's so it's so deep. And it's like the fundamentals for for everything in Yiddish made. So yeah, I love it. If anybody wants to throw anything out there, by all means feel free to, to jump in. Yeah, one more concept? Yeah? Okay, one more concept. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm just gonna jump in one more thing. Okay. okay. A very short. Oh wait, somebody has a question. Uh, and so not a question, but actually a comment just with regards to that beautiful touching story that you said about how, what people will do for Klal Yisrael. I actually just finished reading the Nachman Seltzer book. It's called um, Angels in Orange about Hatzalah and about their work that they did on October 7th and how they literally risked their lives. Apparently 1,700 Hatzalah members went down south and literally put their lives on the line just to save um, hundreds and thousands of people, um, you know, of, of Yidden. And if not for them, so many more people would have perished. So um, just the story that you mentioned, it just uh, reminded me of that, that yeah. selflessness and just that giving um, and the, the love, um, the Ve'ehavta Recha Kamocha for Kuala Yisrael. 100%. Thank you for sharing that. I think, I think also, I'm just going to add one piece on this, that I think it's, it, not everybody can be an Akala. Not everybody can ride with two um, various EMTs in a, in a dark neighborhood in the middle of the night. Not everybody can do that. But, but I think everybody has their own place where they're able to step up. It could be a neighbor that needs food after a baby. It could be somebody who's sick. Like the idea of, of opening your eyes to the needs of other people, I think, is inherent. If you would ask me what is the essential ingredient needed to be successful in any relationship, it's the willingness to think about the needs of another person. Obviously, it starts in your own house. But if you, a person does that and says, what are the needs of another person? Again, primarily emotional needs, but there's also physical needs, all these other things. If a person puts themselves into that headspace, what does another person need from me? And how do I, how do they feed off of what I do for them? It's like, it's like, it sounds so childish almost, but think about doing something for somebody else, just watch them smile. Write a note to somebody else, watch them smile. You, you see how what you do, it impacts somebody else emotionally, how it affects them. I think that's the essence of what it means to be empathetic to somebody, to connect to somebody, to feel their feeling and preempt their feeling so that you're, you know, in a positive way, you know, bright, brightening up their life. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I should share one more thing. Yeah. Okay. One more thing, a quick thing. Yeah. Okay. So just one more quick uh, concept on this, on this topic. So we know that B'tzalah, I'll just throw this out there, the Puzzle says, Re'e Karasi B'Shem, B'tzalah Ben Uri Ben-Flor. So B'tzalah was called B'tzalah. But it's interesting that Hashem says, Karasi B'Shem, I called him by name. And this is a concept, which is a really deep concept. Of, you know, Kabbalah speaks about this a lot, that a person's essence is reflective in their name. A person's name shines a light onto their potential, onto their Shairish HaNeshama, who they are and what they can do. It's just inherent in a person is their name. We see this with Yaakov Avinu where he asks the Malach after he fights with the Sashal Esav, what is your name? And the Malach says, why do you want to know my name? And there was a very deep conversation over there where Yaakov was essentially asking, what is the 
where the Sarshalisa have represented the final Golas, what is the Nisayan of the final Golas? What is the name of the final Golas? Like, what will be the test of the final Golas? Because every Golas had like a test. What will be the test of the final Golas? Because you are the Sarshal Esav, and the last Golas will be the Golas of, of Edain, which is Esav. So there's an inherent, um, a person's essence is rooted in their name. We find this Avram and Avraham, Sarai, Tzara, Hosea, Yehoshua. There's a lot of people even Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu had seven names. Yisra had, oh, I don't know how many names, a whole bunch of names, right? So the Medrash talks about how a person has multiple names, seven names also, Yisra, yeah, Yisra, Yisra, whatever, Kani, right, Gazeel, yeah. So a person's essence is rooted in a name. And the, the Medrash talks about how B'Tzalel, Harasi B'Shem, B'Tzalel also had, the Medrash says, six names, and each name referred to a different reflection of what B'Tzalel brought to Kal Yisrael. I'm not going to go through the names right now, but essentially, he talks about how he was very well known. He was seen by the people. He brought a certain tide, a certain, a certain ayes, a certain gvura, a certain beauty. So he, he brought different levels of things to call Yisrael because of his work with the Mishkan. And therefore, that's how he was, he was referred. He was Karasi Vashem, like called by name. Betzalel's inherent ability to build the Mishkan is because he had a name, Betzalel. That was his name. And that name is what gave him the ability to do whatever it is that he did. Now, we know that when Kalisho was in, Arsinai, it says, I'm sorry, we're, we're, we're Mitzrayim, they were, they were redeemed, al-shaleshina as-shamam, that they didn't change their name. Now, we also know that they didn't change their clothes, and they also didn't change their lashon, the way that they spoke. But if you look around, you'll see that it's not absolute. That concept is not absolute. What does that mean, it's not absolute? You find when Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Yisrael, they said the words, ish, mitzri, hitzilonu, miyadarayim. A mitzri, save them. And Moshe Rabbeinu was essentially dressed as a mitzvah. You also find in the drashim that talks about when Hashem gave the Torah, there's a man, the Amar, that says that it was said over in Lashon Mitzri, in Egyptian language, because they spoke, the language that they spoke was Lashon Mitzri, and therefore in order for them to be able to understand, of course they have Lashon HaKadosh, but in order for them who spoke Lashon Mitzri to understand, therefore there was a Lashon Mitzri that was also spoken. So you see that, although it talks about that they didn't change it, you find conflicting reports over here that maybe in certain ways they did change it. So so a very beautiful concept here, which is not that they didn't change it. That doesn't mean that they didn't speak Russian Mitri when they were in Gullah. What it means is, is that they held on to certain things. Shalishina means they didn't change it. doesn't mean that they didn't do it. Meaning to say, a lot of times you see this in, in many communities where somebody's name is Yassi and they call him Joe. They're, oh, you're not going to go, you know, when Mashiach comes. No, that's not what it means. The essence of a person's name Leishina means that they didn't forget it. Every person understood that they have a pocket in this world. And therefore, they were always saying, yes, we're in Gullahs right now. What is my pocket in Gullahs? What will be my pocket after the Gula? Where do I fit into a community? How do I fit into my family? What is my role, my purpose in this world? So Leishina doesn't mean that they didn't say, Yo, hey, Joe. It means that they, they said, yeah, hey, Joe. But Joe said, my essence is this. This is who I am. This is what I stand for. And I think that it's, it's a simple concept, which is that every single person needs to focus on what their top kid is in this world. And it really talks about in the Medrash how every baby, when they're in, when they're in their mother's womb, is taught Tyra, but specifically the Tyra that that baby will need in its lifetime. Meaning to say, if a person is going to specialize in Chesed, taught certain sugyas, if a person's going to specialize in things, it's taught the things that that person will need in order to fulfill its top kid in this world. Now, I just saw just an incredible story, which I just wanted to end off on, which I think it just 
it's not just an incredible story, but it's also something which is super practical. The story goes as follows. There was a man who was a printer and his job was to print. And he had various clients who would come in and they would use his print shop for different things. And one day at around four o'clock, he got two emergency phone calls for almost identical projects. One was a yeshiva that was making a beautiful, beautiful dinner. And at the end of the dinner, they wanted to have everything color-coordinated and really beautiful. They wanted to give out a CD of a song that was sung special for this occasion by a really famous musician. And everybody, as they get into their car, they could put the CD in the car and it would play this beautiful music and they would sort of like end off the night like on this high, like take this home with you. Everything's really beautiful. Okay, so they tell them we need a few hundred of these things and it's going to wow all of our donors and then we're going to follow up with them and they're going to give us a ton of money. We need everything color-coordinated exactly like this. At the same time, there was a family. The name of this brought down is Rabbi Obermeister. I don't know if it's a made-up name. Rabbi Obermeister's family. Rabbi Obermeister was Nefter, older man. And the family was coming up to Hishleshim, and they decided that they wanted to take all the Hespedim that were given, and they wanted to put it onto a CD, a picture of Rabbi Obermeister, and they were going to give this out by the Shleshim and everybody could listen to the Spadim and be Nisair from Rabbi Obermeister's wonderful work throughout his lifetime. So they gave a whole bunch of hours of Hasidish people speaking in Yiddish, giving beautiful Hespedim on this Rabbi Obermeister. And as you can imagine, because everything was rushed and it's happening all at the same time, these two jobs got mixed up. And without realizing it, Rabbi Obermeister's family is given this beautiful rendition of a song. And this yeshiva, when you put the CD in, it had a whole bunch of people giving a hesped and wailing over the loss of Rabbi Obermeister. So <laughs> this guy closes up his shop. He goes home. Everybody gets their job. They don't hop what's on the CD. And he goes to sleep. At around 1 o'clock in the morning, his phone rings. And the person on the phone is the yeshiva administrator, who is absolutely livid. He is screaming into the phone about how he is so embarrassed that they gave out the CDs and they had all these people coming by. And La Misa, they all got into the car and they put it on and they're all listening to Hespedim of Rabbi Obermeister. So this guy's like, oh my God. Besides the fact that his job was messed up, this yeshiva gives him all of their jobs. So this is like his number one client is calling up really upset that he messed up their entire dinner, which they just spent a ton of money on. Everything should be color coordinated and look beautiful. And now everything's messed up. So he's like, okay. Then he thinks to himself, oh my gosh, that means that by the Shleishim, they're handing out this beautiful song and they're all going home thinking like, oh, we're walking home. They're all going to put into their car and start listening to, I don't know which singer, start belting out some beautiful song to put them into like this beautiful mood. So he calls up the Obermeister family. It's even though it's like one o'clock in the morning and the son picks up. He says, yes. He says, uh, did you get a chance to listen to the CD? So the guy says, you know, the truth is right before the thing started, somebody popped the CD into a CD player and we realized that there was a mix up. It's okay. It's okay. It's not a big deal. We didn't give them out. We have your CDs on the side. All we need is just do a new run tomorrow. And we'll just mail it out to the people that we want to mail it out to. Really not a big deal. Ramachal, don't worry about it. He's like, Phew. this guy goes to sleep and he can't sleep that he just lost his number one client. The Obermeister family is the Obermeister family. But, you know, the yeshiva is like a really big loss. And he kept thinking to himself that the Gemara says, that good things happen to 
good people, bad things happen to bad people. And he kept thinking to himself, What should I do? I just lost my biggest account. I must have done something wrong. I must, this must be a kapara for something. Like I just lost my biggest account. And this administrator was really, really mad. So he's like, okay, it is what it is. I'll go down to Yeshiva. I'll apologize, but there's no way they're going to forgive me for this. But it's okay. Anyways, he goes to sleep. Next morning, he gets up and he goes to work and he's working on the Obermeister, you know, CD. Let's redo this. Okay, it was a mistake. We'll send it out. We'll mail it. We'll absorb the loss and no, no harm, no harm. So he goes ahead and he puts in the work to do this. And around one o'clock, his cell phone rings and he sees that it's the yeshiva administrator calling him again. He's like, oh, God, that guy wants to kill me a second time. So he picks up the phone and he's not running away from the problem. And he goes to the phone and he says, yes, Shalom Aleichem, how are you? And the administrator says, ah, oh, Shalom Aleichem, how are you doing? And he's like, uh, <laughs> I'm good. Um, I'm actually going to come out to yeshiva later. I wanted to meet you. I'm so sorry about what happened last night. The guy says, ha, you want to hear the funniest story? Is he not going to believe it? He says, we were after a certain Gvir, wealthy guy, to come down to our dinner for years. This guy never showed up. Finally, last night, one of our guys, our, our comedian, knew him and convinced this guy that he should come to the dinner. So the guy came to the dinner and we were like very, like trying to, you know, talk to him and smooth with him. And it like really wasn't going over very well. And at the end, we went over, we said, oh, here's a CD, go home and, you know, listen to this. It's going to put you in a good mood and everything's going to be great. So this guy gets into his car and he puts in the thing and he hears, has paid him of Rabbi Obermeister. So this guy starts listening. And it turns out, you're not going to believe it, but this guy, when he was a bucker, he was struggling. And he had this incredible Rebbe named Rebbe Obermeister. And Rebbe Obermeister, Mamas changed his whole life and really set him up for, for life, like hashkafically and really just beautifully. And therefore, he gets in the car and he's like, oh my gosh, this was my Rebbe. Didn't even know that he was Nefer. 50 years later, Jesus died. So this guy sat in his car for hours listening to his radio, just listening, and he got put into such a mood about Karas Yatayv, her Rebbe Obermeister, I can't believe that he's gone, all the things that he did for me. So the next morning he wakes up, he calls the administrator and he says, funny because the CD had on the cover, you know, a song title, but you gave it to me and I don't know if you know, it had all these Hespedim on it. So the guy said, oh yes, he says, you know, it's so funny, everything's Bashar. This guy was my Rebbe. I'm, I'm coming to the yeshiva now. I want to give you a check. He gave me a check that was 10 times bigger than all the money you could have thought to ever collect from this one dinner. So I just wanted you to know that it's, it's all, it all came together. No, don't worry. It's all from Hashem. You could relax. Everything's good. You're a good shliach. So, okay. This guy hangs up the phone. And then he picks up the phone again and he calls the Obermeister family. He says, let me share with them the news. You know, I called them last night, one o'clock in the morning. He calls the Obermeister family and he tells the story over to Rabbi Obermeister's son. And Rabbi Obermeister's son listens to everything. Says, Oh, this is so bashar. It's exactly the way my father used to say, Mamish, you're the perfect person for this to happen to. You must have some real schlussen that all of this came together. What is schluss for you and for your family? be in your business and everything should be great. Right? So that's the thing. Now, what struck me in this thing with the father? I think that a lot of people in their life, they tend to think that you have to become almost like the pinnacle of the pinnacle of the pinnacle. Like if I'm not the Rosh Hashiva of Mir, Brisk, and Lakewood at the same time, I didn't become anything in my life. And it's not true. The concept over here is that other Mauritians in the Shambh was broken up and given to each one of us. And each one of us has our specific practice to perform and to fulfill in this world. That's it. 
You don't have to become somebody else. They're already taken. You just have to become you. And what struck me is that you had this rabbi Obermeister. He did his thing. You had this printer. You had this Talmud. You had this wealthy guy, right? Same guy, this wealthy Talmud. And then you have the administrator of the yeshiva. And everybody did exactly what they needed to do. And Hashem put all the pieces together. And within our lives, I think that so many of us, we focus on, I have to become that. And we have to become this. And we have to become something else. But if a person's able to identify, almost feel, where do my, where do my talents lie? Where does my, where does my potential lead me? Where are the doors that are opening up for me that Hashem is sort of showing me? I don't want you here. I want you there. Where do you see that happening? When you start to see those things happening, it's a sign. Hashem doesn't want you here. She wants you somewhere else. And when you start following that path, that's when you start to see all the things in your life come together. I, I just thinking now, I'll tell you a very interesting story. I don't know if you ever heard this one. When I was learning in Eretz Yisrael, so we were there for, we were there for close to five years. And at the end of those five years, I was told by Rabbi Berkowitz that he, he thought I would be good to be an assistant rabbi in the shul. Okay, assistant rabbi in the shul. What does the assistant rabbi in the shul do? I had absolutely no idea because I didn't grow up with a shul that had an assistant rabbi. Just knew, like, you're like the rabbi's assistant. I guess you give classes and stuff. But that was like programmed into my brain that Rabbi Berkowitz wanted me to become an assistant rabbi in the shul. It was coming towards the end of, it was coming towards the end of my tenure in and my wife and I were basically told, like, there's a guy, come, interviews you, talk to him, and he's the guy that you should sit down with and he'll help you figure out, you know, where the next step in your life. So we prepared. Guy actually came down, he sat with us, and he helped us prepare for the meeting with him and tell us exactly what you should say and shouldn't say. And at the time, I had wanted to be something in the New York area, part-time hero. And so I could do accounting. And I, that was like sort of how I wanted to set up my life. Okay, very nice. So I sit down with this man. It's supposed to be an hour meeting. And he says, tell me what you want to do. I tell him, this is what I want to do. And he says, uh-huh. So you're one of these guys from Brooklyn who wants to like go back to Brooklyn and do your thing and say that you did care of. You're wasting my time. Thank you for coming. And he folds my resume in half um, or crumples it. The and he throws it on the floor and he says, um, call him the next guy. Now we're about 90 seconds into an hour long meeting, 90 seconds. And I'm like, huh? He's like, yeah, that's it. Not really interested in talking to him anymore. I was like, no, no, no. I, he's like, nothing you're saying interests. It's always great words to hear during an interview. So we stood up and we left and we were literally done. Okay. So I guess we're not doing something here related, you know, whatever, no assistant rabbi job. This is not the path that Hashem wants me to go down. A couple of days later, we got a message saying that there's a Rav coming from Staten Island. And this Rav is, is coming in. His name is Rabbi Siegel, Rabbi Siegel. And he does placement for uh, Torah Masora. And if you want to meet with him, he's coming in for two days to meet with him. And he'll tell you, you know, if he has a job for you. So, okay. So they asked me, they said, you're going to be in for two days. Do you want to be... First day, the second day, coming, let's say Tuesday, Wednesday, tell me what you want to do. So I said, you know what? Let me go in the first meeting. Just get this over with. Like I'll go in. He'll also tell me the same thing. I'm from Brooklyn. I'm a spoiled guy. And, you know, and, and let me just get this over with. So we had this meeting. I show up for the meeting and he sits with us and he says, Oh, I, I heard about you. I'm looking into. Would you like to come work for me? Really? He said, yeah. Um, I said, yeah, I want to do something 
part-time new theory. He's like, I love that. That's great. No problem. You could work and you could work for me and it'd be a great opportunity. I said, you serious? Yeah, that's serious. Here's my cell phone number. If you want the job, I'm coming back to America. I'm going back to America. You just let me know if you're in. Said, okay, great. I stood up and I left. The second I left that meeting, I was offered that job. The second I left, and the seagull's phone rang. And he was informed that his brother was next to him. And he therefore had to cancel every other meeting from there. He had to cancel everything. The only meeting he had, he flew into Eric Stroll, met with me, canceled everything else, and then got back on a plane and went back to America where he sat Shiva. And then the day after Shiva, I called him. And that was the next step in our life, going from here to there. I won't tell you who had the meeting after me, okay? Somebody that you all know, okay? Who did not have that meeting with Rabbi Siegel. Um, and many other people that you also know who learned better with the title who did not have that meeting because that was not the path that Hashem wanted to leave them down. Sometimes in life, you see that Hashem fucks you and he says, I don't want you here. I want you there. You think this door closed, another one opened. You think the first guy was telling you no? He just told you no faster. Why should I make you sit through an hour meeting for him to tell you that he doesn't have something for you or for him to tell you I have something in Wyoming that you're not going to take? No, 90 seconds. You don't have to waste your time here. That's not where I want you. Somebody else is going to fly 7,000 miles, sit down with you, tell you he wants you to work for him, and then he's going to fly back because that's where I want you to go in your life. Doors open in your life. And if you think about where is my top kid? Where does Hashem want me? What is leading me down? Which path? That will enable you to take the next step in your life. But if you're not focused on that and you're just in the survival mode, the mode of like, yeah, I don't know. I just want to get from day to day. I don't feel any pulling anywhere. Maybe something is pulling you and you're not listening to that voice. And it could be within your own house. It could be within your community. It could be within your own alveda. There's certain people that are Tehillim Zogas. They're so good at Tehillim and Davening. There's certain people that are great at Chesed. Certain people are great at opening their home. There's so many different ways of serving Hashem. And if a person is just in two, one, something that's pulling them, you should know that that's probably the essence of who you are. And if you do that, you maximize who you are. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.